Morning, everyone. Happy New Year to you. Glad to have you here in the house. Um, we're going to pray here in just a second. There's a handout that's put on the seats for you if you want to grab that. If you're online on the front page of the church website, you can click that PDF and you can download it right there and be watching on as well. Before we start, let's pray. Father, you alone are God and we have exalted you. We've looked into the heavens here, even with some of the things we've put up. And we just, we, we come alongside that plethora of people uh, across the globe and honor you as God this morning. We pray that you would speak your word into our lives this morning and that we will have your hope because of it. Lead us into this next year. Guide us, direct us. We declare aloud, you are the only God and worthy of our praise. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So uh, I went through and looked back. I, Pastor Steve and I had the privilege of preaching the beginning of the year. We did the first sermon on the, fir- on the first Sunday of the year. And what we've been talking about all year is ushering in the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is so much bigger than just the local church. The local church is beautiful and it's wonderful and, it, and it's lovely and it's a local congregation. But the kingdom of God is bigger than that. The kingdom of God is what God is doing all right around the world. The kingdom of God oversees and holds together the universe. The kingdom of God oversees and holds together that that. that thing in our body called gluion that keeps cells from just like spontaneously falling apart. It's the kingdom of God that Jesus came to establish. He came to share into your life that there's something bigger than you and actually he's there for you. So we preached about the kingdom of God this last year uh, during, during that. I thought I would just give you a little rewrap, right? I mean, you guys have those apps on your phones, you know, where they say, hey, do you want to see what you did this year and, and all those kinds of things? Well, let me give you a little rerun of a couple of things we did this year. Uh, We preached on kingdom living versus living in the world. We preached on the kingdom of God is calling men to be tender warriors uh, in this world. We preached about a kingdom family, every man's battle and finding and choose every person's battle, finding and choosing your battles and knowing what is right and what is wrong. We preached on parables. We did parables all the way through the summer. If you can remember back to when it was hot and how we, uh, we preached through 16 of those different parables during the course of the year. In the, in the fall, Pastor Doug preached on pack your bags, we're going on a guilt trip. The whole idea of, okay, how do I unsaddle myself with guilt that has racked me throughout my life? How do I move away from that? How do I actually have the hope and the blessing that we just sang about? How do I have that for my life? We talked about how the kingdom of God is designed to grow. In October, we preached about the, how we celebrate the the strength and the dignity and the honor of women and who they are and how we are in, in the world together. We preached on the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. We did the last four weeks on the run-up, and that is Jesus is the King. By the way, there is a King in this kingdom. His name is Jesus. And why do we beat drums and celebrate the way we do over Christmas the way we did? Is because he came into the world, and we want to tell the world. Go tell it on the mountain, right? Joy to the world. God sent a Savior into the world. If we didn't have Jesus in the world, what hope would there be? Seriously, like where do you go and buy hope in in the world? Where do you go by hope? What is the source of hope? God is the giver of life and he is the author and perfecter of life according to Hebrews chapter 12. And he's also the sustainer of life. And in that we have hope. 
I, um, I put up this Irish cross and I brought it with me today, um, partly because some of you probably seen these, but one of the coolest parts about an Irish cross is, is that it has the, this one, the Celtic cross. It has on it the entire Old Testament and New Testament. It starts with Genesis, goes through to the end of uh, the Old Testament, and then it comes through the entire gospel message and finishes with Christ with his hands raised up on high and he is exalted into the heavens, right? He's ascended into the heavens. He'll come back again someday. And, the, and the, the reason why they had this cross was because they were in a society where most people didn't read. And what they did was they would go to the cross to remember the God who made them is the God who gave Christ for them, is the God who is there for them for eternity. It's a beautiful, simplistic thing. The reason why I like it, I keep it on my desk, is because we, we live in such a sophisticated, complicated, crazy kind of world where at the year end, Spotify told me, I, I, they, they gave me a deal. I said, Harvey, congratulations. You've listened to 168 genres of music. I left my Spotify on one night and it played all night long. And I'm sure that 164 of those happened in the night that I left it on all night. Because I have four songs that I like and I listen to them every day, whether it's Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, or Thursday. You guys have those things where you measure your steps on your, on your, on your thing, right? You got a step counter, right? So uh, I'll show you a picture of my family. So we went up and we got our Christmas tree this year. We got skinny little Christmas tree. I mean, when I was in Colorado, the trees made me look skinnier. Here, the trees make me look fatter. And so we're thinking about moving back to Colorado. But this tree was, our, I'm joking. So, but anyway, so here we are, the whole crew, and we're all doing all of that. And you know, you get up to altitude a little bit, and you're not breathing as well. And you know, your 28-year-old son, who's as fit as can be, and has got 2.17% body fat, says, you, you doing all right, old guy? I'm like, yeah, I'm doing it. I'm getting my steps in, right? And I'm like, I have a goal every day for my steps. And how many of you guys have goals for your steps, right? You have goals. I have goals for my steps. Uh, in, our, in my Bible app, it tells me how many days I was in the Bible this year, how all the highlights I made, all those kinds of things, right? And so anyway, we're joking about all this. And so my son-in-law, who's a doctor, says, just casually, he's like, well, like, Harv, what's your daily step goal? And I go, Dude, that's too personal. You can't ask that. He goes, no, no, really. I said, 75. He goes, 75. I said, 75 is my daily step goal, and I met my goal every day this year. You guys throwing shade on me or what? 75 steps. I go to the bathroom. I go get breakfast. I get lunch. I get dinner. I watch TV. My wife carries me up the steps so I don't get to 76. You know what I'm saying? Every day. So, but isn't it funny that we actually for ourselves set really low goals, but we have high expectations for everybody else? Isn't that interesting? That's a weird par paradox of our lives, right? I mean, like some people would say 3,000 steps and some would say 7,000 steps and some would say, well, you know, how many stairs did you do and all those kinds of things. There's a beautiful thing that goes along with God in your life and that is, is that God sets the direction and the tone for your life for a purposeful life that includes he knows your steps. I want you to see some verses here that are in your text. Go to your handout. You can see your handout out there. And I want you to see, so remember I said, one side shows the Old Testament. One side says the New Testament. Let's start with Jesus in the New Testament. And Jesus in the New Testament, in Matthew chapter 22, it says these things. 
Verse 34, but when the Pharisees heard that he had put the Sadducees to silence, they gathered themselves together. So basically, here's what it is. It's a knockout round. Jesus knocks out the Sadducees and the Pharisees go, okay, we're up next, right? So Jesus wins the semifinal against the Sadducees. Now we're in the finals playing the Pharisees, right? So he's playing, the Pharisees say, all right, we're gonna, we're gonna stump him. So look what it says in the next verse. And one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question testing Jesus. So why would he be testing him? Let me give you a little bit of context for a minute. Every Jewish parent who's Orthodox every day reads the Shema. It says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then it says, These things shall be on your heart first, and then you will teach your children. So this Pharisee, who's a lawyer, who came up and asked him this question, if he had parents and his parents knew the law, which would have undoubtedly been the truth, they would have told him what the greatest commandment is. So they come to Jesus, and Jesus honestly has the ability to look back at him and go, where are your parents? I mean, do you you guys have parents? Bring your parents up here, right? I mean, like, where are they? Because you should know what this is. But he knew they were just what? Testing him. So let's look and see how he responds. Jesus responds with what? Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? That was the verse. And the next verse says in verse 37, it says, you shall love the, and and he said to them, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. Now, everyone listening would have known that. Go back to my son-in-law asking me, what's your step goal, right? I mean, everybody has a sense at this day and age that you ought to have a step goal. You're trying to, you know, keep your body going and all those kinds of things because that's a cultural expectation that everybody has, right? There's nothing wrong or bad about it. But here they ask him this question. And I want to flip it with you for a minute. The reason why they wanted to flip him was they knew what the first commandment was. Jesus lines out, you love God with everything you have. And we're going to read here in just a second. In fact, you can put it up here is that in Exodus chapter 20, God gives what the first commandment is. It's there on your handout if you want to look at it. Exodus 20, it says, And God spoke these words, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. That was the first commandment. The first commandment. So Jesus just extrapolates on that and says, here's how you love him. You love him with everything you have. You love him with your heart, soul, mind, and your strength, right? Now look at verse 38, because it's a pivot verse. It says this, Jesus, this is Jesus talking. He says, that is the great and foremost commandment. He says, that's the one. That's the big one. And and here's the point of today. Most of you know the Ten Commandments, right? You know some of them, right? Or all of them, right? You shouldn't steal. You shouldn't cheat. You shouldn't lie. You shouldn't covet. You shouldn't murder. You should honor your father and your mother. You ought to keep the Sabbath day holy. All those kinds of things, right? Do you know why Jesus was saying this is the great and foremost commandment? Because he knew human nature. Tell me if you agree with this. The reason why they were quibbling over those last nine commandments is because everybody has pet commandments. You know what your pet commandment is? It's the one that's the easiest for you to keep. Every every one of you have one that's the easiest one for you to keep. You're like, I would never tell a lie ever in my life. You all have a pet commandment. And they were looking at him going, Jesus, is there there one better than the other? Kind of like prove our point. Can I tell you the second reason why we always quibble over the commandments? 
Because we have a pet commandment we like, it's easy to keep, and we have a commandment that someone has violated that hurt us deeply. Every one of us has that. We have someone who's lied to us, someone who's cheated on us, someone who's stolen from us, somebody who has hated us, which is, by the way, you understand that hate is a socially acceptable form of, of murder, right? Hate's a socially acceptable form of murder. Anger is the socially acceptable form of, of hate. And so what we do is, is we, we go from murder to hate to anger. And you know what the socially acceptable form of hate is? Control. We try to control people. And we turn the screws on them. See, Jesus gets together with these guys and he says, oh, okay, great. You want to you befuddle me? Here's the great one. There's our first and foremost commandment. And here's what it is for us today. At the end of 2023, hear this commandment. End of 2023, have no other gods before him. And when you get the first and greatest commandment right, when I get it right, when you get it right, we tend to not quibble over the other nine. But you know what the world's doing? The world wants to quibble over all the other nine and reject this one. So this is kind of like culmination of the year sermon that comes in and says, hey, in all the joy we celebrated, in all the kingdom of all that, you know who the king is, right? The king is the one we just sang to. The king's the one who sent the son. The king is, did you guys see the, 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 the picture up here a minute ago when we were singing the songs that had the stars? The stars are incredible. You know, population has moved to what? Has moved from rural to city. And you know one of the, most, the, the, one of the worst plagues of the city? Light pollution. You know why? Because you can't see the stars anymore. You know one of the things about it is, is that when, you, when there were farmers, the generations ahead of us that were in Idaho that were first plowing that ground and turning all that volcanic soil into places where you could grow potatoes and do all that kind of stuff, you know what they did every night? They saw the stars. You know what we say every night? We turn on the TV to see the stars. See how we have replaced our God in practical ways? God says, get this one right, and all the other ones will find their way through. Get this one right. It's the first and greatest commandment. That's why the, the, the lawyer went away and went, I, I'm, I'm, I'm not quite sure what to do with that. You see, one of the great things of life is, is having a source for where, your truth, where the truth is, and then that from there conforms to your life, that leads your life, and your life conforms to it, rather than having to make up your own truth. Isn't it, isn't it tiring to have to come up with your own truth? Right? It's so tiring to do all like that. We joke about the little step meter, right? I don't have my, I, I used to keep my step meter or my, my phone in my back pocket when I preach because you would be un, you, you wouldn't believe how many steps you get by preaching. So if you ever need like 3,000 steps in about 25 minutes, 35 minutes, however long it takes, do that. But you know what's so interesting is, is that we have step meters on so many things of our lives. Hey, are you in a relationship with anybody that you just feel like you're on a treadmill and it won't stop? Do you have a boss that you work for that all they care about is, is numbers and production and how you get there and they don't, they don't even know you're a human being. They barely remember your name. Do you, do, you, do you have a neighborhood where people just look at you and the only time they ever, you ever hear from them is when you park your car with one wheel up on the curb and they call the HOA? I'm like one wheel Harvey. I put my two wheels up once in a while just to see if they notice, right? Isn't it amazing how our world is quibbling over all this garbage and they have meters about it. It's why we're so exhausted. 
Jesus was giving us a gift. He was saying this, you get this right, you get so many other things right. On your piece of paper, I I give you four things that I think that are benefits that come if we get God first and foremost first in our lives. Number one, God first in our lives provides the covering that protects you and provides for you. You know what I'm guessing for everybody here last night? Is everybody here slept last night under a covering of some sort? I know I, I'm not belittling or talking about homelessness in some an inadvertent way or anything, but I'm guessing all of you have a house or an apartment or, or, or a trailer or a life or wherever. I mean, what? But you had covering over your head last night, right? And didn't you feel a little bit secure because you had that? Let me ask you this question Does God serve as the covering over your life right now? And if He does, you feel safe. Not because you're weak, not because you're feeble, not because Christianity's some little crutch. It's because God's a covering over your life. You know why they put the yarmulke on and Hebrew people will put a yarmulke on all the time? It's because they're saying, God is my covering. He's my covering. And there's another reminder is that if he's covering me, he's got my back. He's also above me. And the other side of it is, is he's holy and I'm not holy. And I should have a humble separation between me and him. There's all that imagery in that thought. Okay. The first one is, is that he is a covering. Look at what the second one is, is that when God, having God first provides the peace and provision to do the things that lead to a fulfilling life. I got to tell you, I I wrote my goals. When I was 29 years old, which was about a century and a half ago, I wrote my goals. They're five pages. And I put down goals about discipline, belief, confidence, courage, goal setting, optimism. Put all those things into it. And and what I do on December 31st, I'll pull those babies out. I'll look at them. I'll think about them. I'll go, okay, what do I want to focus on? And how am I doing and where am I going? But you know what happens? Is that having God first provides the peace and provision to where I'm not in competition with you with my goals. It's hard enough to do all these things in my life, much less have you with your magnifying glass. And why is it that we can see other people's deficiencies so crystal clear and we can't see ours at all? It's because we misunderstand the nature of why other people are in our lives. I'll get to that here at the end. I'll show you a piece on that. Would I encourage you, go be disciplined, have belief, have confidence, have courage, be optimistic, set goals, have passion about life. Don't let your heart lead your life. Let God lead your life. The world is saying what? Follow your heart straight to hell. Follow your heart straight to $400 quadrillion of debt. Follow your heart to, if it feels good, do it. Follow your heart to straight into the most blown up, messed up, brutal, college debt laden life you've ever known in your world. Don't do it. You have a God, follow him and be disciplined and do all these things and they will bless your life. Third one, having God first helps you align your life with God's best for you. Here's the prayer that you might be blessed with and have tonight. Lord, what's your best for me? What's your best for me? You see, one of the most beautiful freeing things when God is set as the God, Lord, leader and director of your life is that I want to encourage you in your life, but I'm not looking over your shoulder to see what your steps are at. I'm not looking for your number. I'm not over there staring at yours, but there are people in your life that are doing that, right? Everybody's got a balcony. Who's in the balcony of your life? Who's sitting up there in the balcony of your life, staring down over your shoulder going, 
Well, maybe next year. Let me give you a sidebar for just a moment, okay? I think we live in an era or in a world where all of us, I'm 57. I think we're living in an era in a world where a lot of people my age, maybe a little bit older, but definitely a lot of us who are younger are living in an era where we are unparented adults. A lot of us were never, ever parented. We were never parented. I had my first job at nine. I, I, I worked, I mean, I've been working nonstop since I was nine years old. At, at, at 13, we moved to America. My dad moved out five times while I was in high school. My mom went to work at two in the afternoon, got home at 10 o'clock at night. I was asleep when she got home. She was asleep when I got up. And when I left, I saw her on the weekends and at my sporting events. That was it. I was, dry, I was a big kid. I drove at 14 years old. Here's whole Harvey driving at 14 in Clinton, Oklahoma with his trucker hat on like Dylan had earlier today to make himself look bigger. <laughs> I was an unparented adult. A truly unparented. I, I made it up as I went. Did some of you guys do that? I bet a lot of you guys did. We were living in an area. You know what happened in the 60s? They said, the family sucks. Get rid of it. Do away with it. Anything you want, you can do. It's all good, all good. No more adults. We all just get to be kids. And think about it. Everything going on in culture right now is trying to do what? It's to try to, if you look, if you look like you're 57, we're trying to make you look like you're 37. And if you're 77, we're trying to make you look like you're 27 because you want to date somebody who's 27. I mean, everything going on like that is going on in our culture, right? Why? Because they don't have a God and they didn't have any parents. And Jesus looks at these Pharisees and goes, where are your parents? You don't know what the greatest commandment is? And we're coming in as a church, and Pastor Doug has preached his heart out over the course of the year, and, and, and Zach has preached, and I have preached, and Steve Bosford has preached, and we're saying to you, get this one right. Get it right. Have him as the first and foremost, and he will show you what is best for your life. There's a fourth one. The fourth benefit is having God first gives you a source of perseverance when you falter, when you struggle. Where do you go when you mess up? Where do you go when you, you know, don't get your steps? I mean, there's several days this year where I had 73 steps and I was like, Shad, I just can't make it. Can you carry me up the stairs? She's like, I've been carrying you for 33 years. What's another two days, right? Now, where do you go when you falter? Isn't that one of the hard parts of social? Like, Shouldn't it be a requirement that you put your four worst days up too? I mean, it would make it more honest and make it more real. But why are we afraid to do that? Because we're so afraid that everyone else is going to look at us and go, aha, you're human like I am. Hey, up front, I'm human like you. Welcome. Cut me, I bleed red too. Cut me, I bleed O positive, right? I'm O positive. You need a quart? Have a quart. You need a gallon? Okay, you can have a gallon. In your life, where do you go when you falter? See, one of the most beautiful things that carry through with the kingdom of God theme is this, is I, I remember Pastor Doug's sermon on the prodigal son and what separates the gospel message from any other message out there in the world is this, is that the father in the prodigal son story is standing at the edge of his property looking for his son to come back and he sees him from afar and he says, bring the ring, bring the coat, kill the fatted calf because God doesn't look for you to falter, God looks for you to come to him. And he's waiting. And he's saying, child, I'm with you. 
He's a clean slate God. He's a, hey, let's move forward God. He's a, hey, the best days are ahead of us. What I love about this thing right here, and I keep it on my desk, is it starts with the Old Testament story, goes up through the Old Testament, and it goes to the other one. And, and at the end, you have Jesus with his hands up. We win. We win. We don't lose. That's why Doug and I are such good friends. The Bible begins with a baseball story and it ends with a touchdown. Do you see that? The Bible starts with in the beginning. That's baseball. It finishes with, and he reigns from above. We win. Touchdown Jesus, right? Right? We win. And so, you know, but you know what faltering is? Failure is the ability to start over with a better set of data to maybe get it right this time. See, we live in a world that says we can't wait for you to falter. And God's looking at you going, look, kid, you're going to fall down sometimes. I'm with you. You know those Pharisees and Sadducees? You know the thing about it? They faltered like everybody else. They just acted like they didn't. When I first came here, it was so funny because I was just, you know, I, I commuted the first year while I was here. And there was a lady who came up to me and she said, she said, hey, I know your name is Pastor Harbin. I just call you Pastor Sneakers. I said, you call me Pastor Sneakers? She said, yeah, you preach in sneakers. Makes me feel like you're a real person like me. I said, well, that's pretty cool. I am a real person like you, Pastor Sneakers. And you, you, know, you know what I love about the gospel is it's so approachable for a normal guy with sneakers and a, and a trucker hat, a normal gal who's just trying her best, working hard, trying to get her good grades, trying to do her thing, it's an approachable gospel. I want you to see the second side of this page that I handed to you. And, there, and, and I put it up here because I want you to see it. Now, I, I, I know you can't see it necessarily like that, but when they put it just up there as the whole screen, you can see it really well. So if you guys want to put that up there as the whole screen, so when I married Chadley, the, the, next week is 34 years for the two of us, right? Good living. Yeah. That was for her. Yes. It's felt like 10 to me and 100 to her. But you know what? She said, yes, I'm holding her to it, right? It's been a great run. But you know what is so good about Jesus' teaching? He's saying this. If you get it right with God, you have a chance to get it right with yourself and with other people. Because some of you Bible scholars, you will know that after that, in Matthew 22, he says, the greatest command is this. And he says, the second is like that. And it is to love your neighbor, what? As you love yourself, right? Okay. So let me show you how this works. So Shadley Mary's a math major. And so when I grew up in the home I grew up in, I'm, I mean, honestly, I, I didn't know what a husband was supposed to do and like that. So I took a family class in the Bible college and I literally took a semester class under Hiram Castle. Hiram Castle had a buzz cut hairdo, was from the 1960s, and he had everything I wanted. You know what he had? He had a good family. He had a good family. So... You, you can't Google and find Hiram Castle on a Wikipedia page, but you know what he had? He had, he had a good family. And you know what I wanted? I, just wanted a, I wanted a family where you didn't get beat up every day. I wanted a family where he didn't hit her and she didn't hit them and they didn't hit you. I wanted just, that was, that was how it rolled in my family, right? And so I, I was like, I just want a good family. And so I took a family class. And, and when I got done with the family class, he said, okay, I think you've learned the way of God and you're open to it. You know, the best thing I had going for me, I was so low, I was willing to learn. Can I ask you, are you willing to learn? And I don't know how low or high you are, 
But one of the things that I, I said to Shadley after we got married, two years into marriage, I wrote her a two-page document and I said, here are biblical reasons for why we should not have a child. <laughs> I literally did. No, I'm serious. I did. I wrote it. And she goes, the guy married looks vaguely like you. If you go find him, tell him he's in trouble and he needs to come back because we have a conversation to have. As you can tell with the four kids we have and all like that, she won. And so, but in that process, what happened was she said, you're afraid to have kids. And I said, yeah, I'm afraid to have kids because I, I don't know how to do this. Some of us are afraid to have a walk with God because no one's ever taught us. Doug and I, we're like peanut butter and jelly. He's orthodoxy, right thinking. I'm orthopraxy. I'm like, oh, great, great, Doug. I got it, I got it, I got it, I got it. What do we do? It's like, well, figure it out. I'm like, okay, I'll go figure it out. Well, let me show you what I think is a figure it out of how we love God. Because I could say to you, first and foremost commandment is love God, uh, love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And you could look at me on the fourth row and go, how do you do that? So being the math geek I am, I put it on a spreadsheet. And here's how. And then, by the way, this is the spreadsheet I use with every couple that comes in and does premarital with me. I sit down and they go, what does it mean to be intimate? And they go, Pastor Harv, don't ask that question right out of the box. I mean, what does that mean? I'm like, well, what, what does it mean to be intimate? And our world has done what? Our world has just said that that's physical and sexual, right? And I go, okay, wait, let, let me show you what intimacy actually looks like into your soul, Here's what it looks like from the Bible. James chapter four, verse six says, God is opposed to the prideful, but he gives grace to the humble. So that first one is, is that if you wanna start in a relationship with God, you have to be humble. He is God, you're not. Are you okay with that? I mean, if you're not, it's okay. Strap it on and let's see you, you know, go against him. Let's see it. Man against God, I'm putting my money on God. Okay, the first thing that God says is you have to be humble before Jesus. And if you are humble, you are invited and pursued by God. You're invited by God and you're pursued by God. Look at the second one going back to the, let's go back to the, to the big screen if we could for a second. The second one is, is be respectful. By the way, there's a little line here. Peter Senge wrote a great business book, called it The Fifth Discipline. Fabulous book. And what he said in there is this. Everybody wants to make money in business. Everybody wants to do like that. Figure out what the hurdles are to getting to the next place and you'll move forward. The fifth discipline is you got a great plan. Make sure you understand the hurdles. Well, what are the hurdles to being humble with God? Well, the first one is fear of rejection. The second one is ego, bravado, conceit, unhealthy self-reliance. Those are the things that come with pride and pride-filled living. Another one, pain from a previous hurt. I'm not going there again, right? I prayed for God to save my grandma and my grandma still died. Well, your grandma was 99. I think she, the best by date, I think she was on her way. It wasn't God's fault, right? But you got to get over the hurdles before you go to the next one. If you are humble before God, you have the opportunity to be respectful before God, Psalm 25, 14 says this, friendship with God is reserved for those who fear him. What does the word fear him mean? Respect him, revere his name, have a reverence before God. And here begins to start the rub. Listen on this for a second. Is that if the God, if you wanna know the God of the Bible, the God of the Bible has his everlasting arms open and waiting for you, and when you look up at him, he is so enormously huge that you should be just a bit on the edge of screaming like a six-year-old for their life. Because that is our God. He's that enormous. 
So the second one is, is that we have to be respectful for God. And if so, we are befriended and protected by God. God says, I will walk with you. And we're going to read the last verse on that, Psalm 91. So go back to the big picture again. So we are humble before God. We are respectful of God. We are then what? And what do we have to do? We have to move away from selfishness, that it's not all about us. We have to consider our sin, our disobedience, our sexual sin. And we have to talk about unresolved conflicts that we have with God and with other people. Because God says, you know, you can't say you love me if you hate everybody around you. That's called incongruent, right, in math. So cross the next hurdle, you move from humility to respect of God to now belief and faith in God. Proverbs 3, 5 says, lean not on your own understanding. One of the greatest limitations we have with serving God is the first and foremost in our lives is we make him to be us. Now, Jesus came to be among us and he showed us who he was. And he said, if you've seen me, you've seen the father. But the whole goal of Jesus was to say, I represent the home office. And by the way, I'm going back. I'm going back. You see, Doug and I don't, we represent the home office, but we're leading you to him, not to us. Don't come worship us. Don't come worship your staff. Don't come worship any, any part of Christianity that ever tries to worship one person or put one person up too high falls. We've kind of seen that, right? The whole point is look up, look up. And when you do, you put your faith and your belief in Jehovah God. Why do I put Jehovah God? Because in there where it says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, that word for Lord is the word for Jehovah. It's the holy most only God. Here's where our lives get messed up. We settle for lesser gods. You've seen the movie, children of a lesser God. See, why we have so much trouble down here is because we forget to look up. We only look within. And it's okay to look within as long as God is in you and living through you. So go back to the big picture again, Harvey in math class. So it's humility, respect or fear of God, belief and trust in God. And what happens is you get covered. And then the final one is, is you get to Romans 5.1. It says, you are now made right with God through the work of Christ. You are justified by the work of Christ. You are John chapter 1, verse 12. To as many as who received him, he gave him the right to become a child of God. We filled up the baptistry this morning. And the reason why I filled it up was, is that some of you may be moved to say, you know what? I'm done with me and my lesser G gods. I want to make God the Lord and leader of my life. And don't know if any of you ever need to be or want to be or ready to be baptized. You're ready to give your life to Christ. If you are, we're ready to see you into the water. Not because the water is magic, but because the water says, I'm taking serious. I want him to be the Lord and leader of my life. So let's go back to this for a second, the big picture. So in the big picture, we have humility before God. We have respect of God. We have belief and trust and faith in God. And we have intimacy with Jehovah God. You are loved and encouraged by God. And you actually build that relationship. And here's what's so beautiful. If you get this right, it applies to people too. Because how do you build a relationship? You become vulnerable with them. You become unselfish to them. You have honesty with them. And you have intimacy with them as well. Remember Jesus said the greatest and foremost, if you get that one right, you learn to get this one right. I think the cross is this great illustration. I think it's this perfect thing. If you figure out that, you'll figure out this. Biggest mistake we tend to make in the church today, and I'll get to finish on this. We look at this 
to ask if this is true. That's not how it is. If you're looking at other people to say Christianity is right, you're going to just fall in line with the rest of us to go, two-page document, why we shouldn't have kids, because these people get it wrong. But if you look to the Lord God Almighty and you look up into the heavens, you get outside of this noise pollution, light pollution bubble, and you actually stare into the heavens and you seek the face of God, it says in the scripture, if you seek him with all your heart, you will be found by him. He will be found by you if you seek with all you have. See, the one thing that is a struggle in the life of faith is that God doesn't do half-hearted very well. And you know what I found? You don't either. How many of you are in, don't raise your hand here. <laughs> How many of you are in a half-hearted business relationship and you wish you could get out? How many of you are in a half-hearted anything and like it? You don't. You hate it. You want all of it. You want in. You know where you got that? From your maker. He made you that way because that's what makes it good. That's what makes it good. The last thing for the year is this. It's a prayer of Psalm 91. It's on your sheet of paper. You got to turn your paper sideways to read it. Listen to what is on offer when you have the Lord God Almighty as your first and greatest. When you abide under the shadow of Shaddai, which is the name of God, which means Almighty, you are hidden in the strength of God Most High. He hopes, He's the hope that holds me together and the stronghold to shelter me, the only God for me, and my great confidence. He will rescue you from every hidden trap of the enemy. He will protect you from false accusation and any deadly curse. His massive arms are wrapped around you, protecting you. You can run under his covering of majesty, and there you can hide. For you, a final word from the living God. His arms are available to you. His arms of faithfulness are a shield that will keep you from harm. I get the joy of being able to say from Pastor Doug, myself, the elders of the church, all of our staff, anybody here in the church, that's our prayer for you. Run and hide in him and find your covering and find your blessing and find your groove and let him lead you as you go forward in this next year. And he will do that. 2023, the kingdom of God. 2024, we will grow the kingdom of God with him together. Amen? Amen? Stand with me and let's pray together. Living in most, living in most high God, the only and the only, blessing to you from your people. We have worshiped you this morning. We have opened your word this morning. We have taken your gracious cup of communion and your beautiful bread of communion this morning. We have given back to you. We pray you would now send us out in peace and that your blessing will be upon the body of Christ, both in the room and online and throughout the world. In Jesus' good name, and the church said, amen. amen. Peace of God.